0: I'm James Norton, founder and president of Play Action Strategies, adjunct professor at Johns Hopkins University, and former deputy assistant secretary at Homeland Security in the George W. Bush administration.
1: And I'm Dina Graziano, former communications director for the committees on Homeland Security and Judiciary, and former executive assistant to the late Senator Ted Kennedy.
0: So yeah, so we come from different sides of the aisle for sure, but despite popular opinion, That doesn't mean that we can't find some common ground. And I think Dean and I have always found a way to find common ground in both our (laughs) working home and security and, and other issues. There is possibility to find common ground.
1: That's right. And that's what we're doing here as co-hosts of this new podcast you're listening to, Homeland Homeroom, where we're going to dive into the latest security news and threats to the homeland, discussing everything from cybersecurity to guns to immigration to airport security.
0: Absolutely. And Homeland Homeroom is really our idea of coming together and finding a comfortable atmosphere to discuss all of these fast-moving topics. It seems like things have gone from 24-hour news cycles to 30-second news cycles. And with all these issues that are coming up to shootings in schools, to DACA, to other cyber issues that are happening, we don't have a time to really pause for a minute and kind of walk through what are the politics of these issues, what are the security implications of these issues. So Dean and I, again, want to find common ground with with those out there and and discuss these, these issues every day. Too complex. Much too
1: complex. Well, we uh, welcome to Homeland Homeroom. We're super excited to have Morgan Chalfant with The Hill. She's one of their very stellar cybersecurity reporters uh, joining us today. Thanks, Morgan, for coming to talk to us about cybersecurity goings on on The Hill and everywhere else in the world. Of course. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, Morgan, it's so great to have you. We really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us here in Homeland Homeroom. You have a front seat to uh, what's happening in cybersecurity, and so what are some of the most interesting stories you saw? You know, in the last twelve months, I mean, there's been everything from President Trump's phone to you know Russian hacking. What are what are some things that you think that um, some of the listeners really should be thinking about a little bit more?
2: I think that one of the most uh, interesting uh, cybersecurity developments to come out of recent months was uh, the DHS-FBI notification on the Russian grid attacks, uh, targeting of the energy grid and other critical infrastructure. I think that's something that kind of flew under the radar because it was kind of muddled with the new announcement of Russia sanctions and people picked up on it. And it it really wasn't until I think a couple of days later that stories really started to flesh out what had actually happened and what meant, uh, what it meant. But I think it highlights a broader and emerging concern about threats to critical infrastructure. That's something that DHS has obviously emphasized quite a bit. Um, And I think we're seeing a little bit more concern on the Hill uh, because the, you know, the... Idea of uh, a hacker taking out the electric grid or something like big like Russia, you know, allegedly did in Ukraine twice in uh, 2015, 2016, is a very real concern that I think is going to be increasingly highlighted.
1: Yeah, I think the the folks over at DHS, Jeanette Manfra, Chris Krebs, I think they're doing a great job. Um, do you find that the Hill is informed enough? To actually figure out a way to secure our electric grid or to create some kind of standard, do you think there's actually incentive to do something? Well, I don't think I'm in the position to to assess whether they're informed
2: enough, but I think lawmakers are definitely concerned and interested in asking questions about those threats. but it's one of many topics that that they're trying to pursue and obviously politics kind of overshadows everything else so you've got the 2018 midterms and i think in some cases that takes precedent over other issues yeah
0: i mean absolutely i mean i, I guess it just seems that there still doesn't seem to be anybody in charge you know homeland security you know does a great job in terms of putting together some sort of uh you know security assessment kind of essentially writing a report and then giving it to a a private sector company. Obviously, the FBI is putting out, you know, more critical warnings. But, you know, once it trickles down to the private sector company who own the electric grid, you know, it just seems like, you know, what happens next?
2: Yeah, I think that, and that's, you know, something the DHS obviously talks about quite a bit. That that partnership and the the important need to have that partnership between industry and and officials. And one question that that industry probably has is, you know, where is the White House in terms of leading on cyber now that that team has kind of been. Dissembled, You know, Rob Joyce is left there. And that's obviously federal cybersecurity too. his his role as cyber coordinator, which
1: is now being eliminated. Do you feel that um, members on both sides of the aisle have an incentive to work together, even going to the election? Do you see that? I see a lot of
2: bipartisan agreement when it comes to cyber. It's when you introduce the question of, of Russian election hacking and Russian interference in the election that I think that that changes a little bit. It becomes kind of a political uh, taboo a little bit when you have the president kind of railing against the Mueller investigation. And I do think that in terms of cyber, there's a lot of bipartisan work. It just doesn't seem like there's a lot of substantial legislative action when it comes to cyber. Um, And I also think by the pace at which the Hill moves, by the time you actually pass a bill, it's almost moot- because the, the cyber landscape has, cha- has changed so quickly.
0: What about, um, you know, like Facebook has obviously been on Capitol Hill now. Uh, you know, it seems like there's a data breach every day. You know, Panera was data breached. You know, all these different companies are data breached with all sorts of information, but it really wasn't until it had some sort of line in the sand about the 2016 election that we actually had a, a hearing that we had to have right away, and he needed to get up there and tell us what this was all about. What do you think about that in terms of, you know, actually getting solutions out of the Hill? Or is this, again, just still going to be politically charged for the next two and a half years until 2020? Or, you know, what, where is this going to go?
2: I, I think, it, you know, the Facebook issue is interesting because uh, definitely politically charged. And I think that's a lot of the reason why it got so much attention. But at the same time, you know, I think... It was really a high-profile incident in which people kind of woke up and said, "Hey, Facebook has all this information on me and has been sharing it, has shared it with third parties." Um, I'm not sure that the motive is there on the Hill to, you know, push more regulation on companies like Facebook. I know there have been a lot of questions and talk about it, mm-hmm. but nothing really seemed to move even after those appearances and i think zuckerberg is widely viewed as kind of holding his own in front of congress he did a good job at being respectful signaling that he has remorse but also defending what the company has done um and you know as with the equifax breach you see a lot of talk and a lot of anger but not a lot of legislative action i think it might be kind of the same case when when you see facebook just because you know, people, I think people on the Hill don't exactly know what to
1: do in terms of regulation to prevent things like that from happening in the future. So then I guess what would move the ball? I mean, w- the amount of data we've lost over the past couple of years is stunning. Every breach is the is the biggest breach we've ever seen. And we keep getting bigger and bigger. You know, we obviously saw OPM. We saw Target. Everyone thought the sky was falling then. And then we have Equifax. The sky is still falling. When do you think people actually get up in arms and demand something from Congress to protect their data? I mean,
2: I think people are, you know... Or do you think we're
1: desensitized at this point? (laughs) (laughs) It
2: could could be a little bit of that. But I mean, I I think there was a lot of, um, you know, call after Equifax. I mean, you saw multiple lawsuits. There's a lot Mm of uproar. There's also the question of whether things overseas will kind of cause us to think, oh, well maybe that's the way that we should do it. Um, GDPR is obviously a sweeping data protection law. It's mm-hmm. not only breach notification, no. it's all sorts of things to kind of boost the trust that individuals have in, in the security of their information. I think it it could it'll be a learning experience, you know, what happens in Europe either way to inform I think whatever happens here in terms of that kind of law going forward.
0: You know, in Europe they have this, you know, the right to be forgotten. And I wonder if that has any legs over here in the U.S. A lot of these attacks at home or small business, stuff like that, it really is about the individual. And I just wonder if you've seen any of that talk or if you have any opinion on whether or not we're going to see a focus maybe more on the individual who's been breached or who's lost information or whatever, or just wants to be opt out of this this whole crazy media thing you know, or whatever, social media thing, if that's something you um – you have any thoughts on or you've seen anything on it? You
2: know. It's possible. I think one thing that was interesting after um, the Facebook uh, debacle was that a lot of people were deleting their accounts mm-hmm. and everything, but they'd stay on Instagram. They'd stay sure. on Twitter. I think that Americans like their technology and they like yep. their social media um, and were so dependent, almost in a scary way, on our cell phones and Google Maps and, you know, it's, very scary. it's it really is. I can't I mean, even remember a phone number anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My
2: dad, I mean, I always find it amazing because I went home this weekend and he's trying to figure out where, how we got from DC to Massachusetts and he pulls out a map. And it's not; it's a physical map, and that's what he travels with whenever he goes on work trips. He goes from Massachusetts to Philadelphia, and he actually <laughs> uses I didn't a in physical California map. If I tried yeah. to use yeah. a map. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's you know, it's really it's it's amazing because um, I think a lot of people are dependent on technology. Um, you know, whether it's Facebook, whether it's social media, whether it's you know other apps. But all those apps can leak data, and all those apps can have yep. security flaws that open you up to breaches to to security problems, to identity theft. Um, But I think Americans, you know, the breadth at which, which we use our devices, it shows that we're kind of willing to take those risks, I think, in order to benefit from technology.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We were accusing a friend of mine uh, this weekend of having phone and face syndrome. I don't know if you see that, but they're basically their their phone is in their face. All the time. They're not looking 24/7. up. Yeah. Twenty four seven. You know, you're at dinner, <laughs> you're at somewhere else, and they're just you know, phone and face. Yeah. You know? We have rules yeah. with my kids. They're not allowed,
1: No devices at the table because good. my son who's thirteen, he would have his phone and be. I hear the Snapchat beeping mm. like every second, and they're so focused, and I it's sad because I, I maybe it's just
0: a really good meal. He just wants to Snapchat them. Yeah.
1: There you go. I doubt that. <laughs> um, I, I think it's it's unfortunate because I do think. We're we're creating a generation of kids who won't know how to read a map. Mm-hmm. And it's really, um, it's a missed opportunity, you know, whether that's a skill that we need in the future, but I think that's in general. We've gotten to be a very lazy, independent culture. Mm-hmm.
0: What about some of the foreign uh, adversaries? You know, I think it was a few weeks ago, the Homeland Security Secretary mentioned in a hearing that that uh, there was a potential Iranian threat with us pulling out of the mm. uh, of that agreement. Obviously, the North Korean thing seems to be fairly volatile. We're in, route, out, we're in, we mm-hmm. out. But obviously, we, we know for a fact that they've attacked you know, the U.S. Mm-hmm. before. Um, what are you seeing and hearing from your perspective? You know, does the U.S. government, in this case maybe more DOD, do they seem prepared? Is there a posture out there that you're kind of getting a sense of? or?
2: I think that, you know, the cyber threat from nation-state adversaries is always going to be High and growing. Uh, in terms of the Pentagon, they're pretty tight-lipped. It seems about what they're doing. I mean, certainly, cyberspace is a space of operations, and they're boosting cyber command. Uh, President Trump did that last year officially, and they're kind of evolving their capabilities there. Um, so, I think that's something that we're going to continue to see play out, um, just because lawmakers have gotten increasingly frustrated at you know President Obama and now President Trump kind of not laying out that. You know, public strategy, which I think it's a fair question whether or not that strategy should be public. I think there's, you know, arguments on both sides whether officials should keep it quiet just not to tell our adversaries what we're doing or whether or not we should kind of publicize it in order to send that deterrence message.
0: I mean, what if, just staying on that line, though you know, the CIA director had her hearing for a couple of weeks. There was a lot of discussion about, you know, water bordering and things that happened during the Bush administration and whether or not, you know, that was moral or immoral. And we're not going to get into that, whether you agree or not. But do you think that there was kind of a missed opportunity with her hearing to not talk about cyber a little bit more and what the CIA is doing on cyber and what are their plans? What are they thinking? Where are their investments? And understanding the CIA, they're not going to tell you everything. But you know, what do you think about that? Do you think it was missed opportunity or do you think that was just something that...
2: I was really surprised by how little questions she got on uh, on cyber. Um, I think maybe one, maybe, throughout the hearing. Um, obviously, the question of torture really kind of dominated, expectedly. I think that was that was pretty clear. But I was really surprised. You know, the interesting thing, too, is, is Haspel's coming at the helm of the CIA as the new NSA director is coming on. Um, so we've got two two new leaders
1: in that space. So I think it's going to be interesting. We hope to have you back in a year and we can have mm-hmm. see what issues have closed up <laughs> and assess. what things have been solved right. a year later. It'll
2: be very interesting to watch. We'll see if a DHS gets that reorg.
0: <laughs> and do you think, I mean, in, in a year we'll, we'll, have, we'll have had an election. Uh, maybe this is maybe this is our last question. I know we really appreciate everything, all the time you've given us, but do you have any thoughts on whichever way the election goes one way or another if there's going to be more discussion on maybe 2018 election hacking versus 2016 election hacking and you want to pull out your uh predictions for for not necessarily who's winning well you can tell us who you think is going to win or lose or you can just if there's going to be this issue is going to continue until uh into next year
1: we don't have the crystal ball here too. yeah not today. you left it at home like i did
0: that, yeah
2: I think that there's going to be continued focus, um, increased focus on, you know, election hacking. And I think that people are going to be really trying to make moves to ensure voters that they can have confidence in the vote. So I think there's going to be a lot of focus, continue to be a lot of focus by DHS. And DHS has really been willing to talk about that and kind of highlight what they're doing just to show that things are being done and that they're taking it seriously so I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not we hear more from the president on on that because obviously it connects back to that Russian interference and you know the Mueller investigation topic he doesn't seem to like very much but uh (laughs) but I do think that he you know he has even called for you know paper backups to
0: ballots you know, any final thoughts so. no
1: I just um, I'm super appreciative of you coming here and spending the time with us today it's great to have uh, a woman in cyber as well <laughs> and, you know we we don't see a lot of them so it's great um, that you've um, chosen this as your your writing expertise and uh, mm-hmm. we appreciate you coming here and hopefully you know we will uh, bring you back in a short time and we'll have a lot of these problems solved
2: <laughs> yeah yeah no it's great to talk it's' Cyber is one of the most exciting topics, I think, so I couldn't, I couldn't be more lucky, I think, in terms of reporting.
0: Morgan Shalfont, cybersecurity reporter for The Hill, thanks so much for speaking with us.
1: Thank you so much. We're back, and you're listening to Homeland Homeroom, the podcast where we dive into the latest security news, talking to some of the people covering and making that news, and answer your questions about how security impacts your life every day.
0: And I'm James Norton, former George W. Bush appointee at the Department of Homeland Security and Founder and President of Play Action Strategies.
1: And I'm Dina Graziano, former Democratic Communications Director for the Committees on Homeland Security and Judiciary.
0: All right, so let's go to some of our listener questions and see what people want to talk about in the the homeroom today. Here's a question from Greg in Boston. Hi, this is Greg from Boston. I've heard about maintaining your cyber hygiene, but I was wondering if you could walk through exactly what that meant. And also, any tips and tricks that you could share on uh, how I could pre- protect myself from cyber attacks and just overall my personal data online? Thanks.
1: Well, thanks for your question. I would say that's a pretty easy answer. I mean, one of the basic things you can do is to have a strong password. There's so many people who have admin as their password on their computer, or 1234, or their kids' birth dates. That obviously is not very secure and makes it very easy for an attacker to get into your system and steal your personal data. So let's start there first. Pick a strong password, something you know that you would only know and that no one could crack into if they gained some of your information off of your Facebook post putting basic security on your systems can stop most of the threats we're seeing today. Everyone thinks cybersecurity is a big enterprise or government issue, but it really goes down to the individual. What do you have on your home computer? Do you have a secure router? Are you changing your passwords on your routers at home? Really basic things that I think every person can do um, to make them a bit more secure. And that includes, um, you know, on your personal devices, Put another password on there, use two factor authentication. Basic things that I think could make you worlds above, you know, everyone where everyone is right now.
0: And don't you think training, I mean, training's an issue too? I mean, uh, you talk about the Office of Personnel Management hack. That was one of the biggest hacks in US history. And, you know, you, you had employees over there that just didn't seem to be trained on how to deal with phishing attacks, right? Phishing attacks is something that seems to be the most simple type of attack, but it's everywhere. But it doesn't seem like people are ready for it.
1: No, I mean, unfortunately, I think um, a lot of big enterprises have gotten religion on cybersecurity. The government, unfortunately, is still a bit behind. Um, even after the large attacks we saw with OPM, um, it's still thought of as a luxury item versus something that's a necessity.
0: But what about uh, like what about attacks on senior citizens? You know, like phishing attacks on them. Like, who's going to train them? Who's going to help them? if you talk to some some older folks that are out there, right, and they get these emails. <laughs> like and, my
1: dad. Right,
0: right, right, right. He's getting an email from the prince of somewhere and overseas that needs money right away right. and he's thinking about whether or not he should send them money. I mean, what, what about that? Yes. What we well, like
1: that? the you know, that Nigerian print scam is still playing out. Still out there. It's yeah. still out there. Um, I do think there are a lot of partnerships that are out there that do help senior citizens. There's the National Cybersecurity Awareness Group. My dad is 76 years old. He took his first cybersecurity training maybe a couple weeks ago and said he couldn't even understand the lingo. So I think it, it really goes down to um, boiling it down to the the basics for them, and you know, know the difference that when you know some, there's a pop up on your screen, you don't always have to actually click on it, right? Right? Basic things like that that I think our seniors just aren't aware of.
0: Just resist the urge, right? Stay calm, <laughs> don't necessarily click on right. it, take a step back, yeah. Right? Yep. You uh, don't yeah. have to do it right away. Yeah. And
1: unfortunately, a lot of those clicks look like your bank account. The key is to really look closely, yep. look for those spelling errors. That's yes. something we always see. So those are things we can train. Basic things that the eye can look for to help our seniors and frankly our kids. Yeah. That's a whole nother area. So, so maybe
0: your grandkids can help uh, can help your dad out a little bit. You know, uh,
1: they do often. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> frankly, I think that's another area where the schools need to do a better job. Yeah, uh, kids are on devices all the time. Uh, they're given computers in the classroom, and I think um, with that responsibility, they should also be taught. Better cybersecurity uh, techniques.
0: Maybe uh, maybe we'll take another question. This one's from Michelle in Connecticut. The nutmeg steak, right? <laughs> I know that Europe is implementing this General Data Protection Regulation. What is that going to mean for us as consumers in the U.S. and for U.S.
1: companies too? Well, I think it's really important. I think, um, obviously, Europe has taken a very proactive stance toward protecting the privacy and data of their citizens, and that includes the the data that U.S. companies hold, and um, I think It's definitely a different path than the United States has taken when it comes to cyber regulation, as we we don't really have any. We've seen, you know, multiple data breaches over the past several years, yet we have no data breach legislation.
0: I mean, it just seems so hard to understand these privacy agreements. I know since Facebook testified a few weeks ago, it seems like I've been getting an email every day about a company updating their privacy agreement and I don't have nine hours to read that privacy agreement but it seems like it's so long and there's so many pages I mean can't somebody come up with like a one page here's your rights here's your privacy agreement I remember not too long ago we were talking about the the healthcare bill of rights and here, here's the top 10 things with the healthcare bill of rights like where's my cyber bill of rights where is that that you know can kind of shorten these things up. I mean my data's out there, right?
1: Yeah, I mean I guess I think a lot of companies are doing privacy bill of rights, but it's um, I think more important than a piece of paper and that what are the implications if those if that privacy is is not respected and um what are the penalties? And I think that is the key with GDPR. There are actual monetary penalties that will be delivered to companies who are who are not taking care of the data.
0: Is Facebook going to change their sales model? I mean, they're still selling their data, right? I mean, they might be sorry for how it was being sold. just seems like uh, that's not going to change anytime soon. It seems like the Europeans are a lot further ahead than the U.S. in terms of privacy and, and redressing I, some of this. I would have and to work. agree. <laughs> Right, what, what, what And, why I, and I don't that? see it
1: changing under this administration, unfortunately. Yeah, not going
0: to change in this one. No,
1: I, I wouldn't. Hold you think they're path. on the
0: side of the, the tech companies?
1: No, I just think that um, we're in an area that people are not comfortable regulating. Unfortunately, I don't think Facebook will change. Maybe they will secure their data better or make better choices. But I would say that data is power. And if you look at any large tech company that's where your money is being made is the data that you hold. So how you monetize that data and whether you do that in a way that protects the privacy of consumers is really the crux of the issue.
0: But we're not seeing anybody. uh, We're not seeing any uh, privacy protests, right? Nobody's marching in the streets.
1: Right, because we're in a world where we want to put everything online. We yeah. want to tell everybody everything we're doing. Um, it's very easy, you know, to, to use that data to, to send you ads or to make determinations on how you'll vote or, right. to you know, just to make a lot of decisions for you. And we offer that data up for people to, to monetize, frankly.
0: But isn't Capitol Hill, like, asleep? I mean, doesn't it seem like your old friends over there just, just <laughs> are a little sleep at the wheel a little bit where – They should be stepping up with some sort of legislation, some sort of best practices. I mean, what does that say for leadership just in terms of, you know, do as I say, not as I do? I mean, what what is that?
1: I mean, I'd like to give some credit for for Congress. I I think they are doing their best to navigate these challenging issues. They're very, very Mm -hmm. complex. Um, There are a lot of uh, members on both sides of the aisle very focused on protecting privacy. But I'd say the will of the Congress is not to regulate either on cybersecurity or on privacy issues. At this time, um, we do a lot of talking, um, but it's not the
0: problem, though. I mean, it, I mean, <laughs> we every, it seems like we only react after something happens, right? We had we had nine eleven, we passed all this legislation. You had Hurricane Katrina, you passed all this legislation. You had, you know, other different crises that have come up, and you try to push legislation and, and it's again, legislation
1: that's not usually very good. Sure,
0: it's exactly it's that's damaging. the problem. Right? It's damaging. It's le-
1: reactive legislating. You're
0: legislating in crisis, and you're legislating around homeland security and all these all these homeland security pieces of legislation that was allowing all this data collection is almost kind of coming back home to, to bite us a little bit, don't you think? I mean, Agreed.
1: And I, I think uh, we should fear that if there is a large-scale attack on our power grid or on a major critical infrastructure site um, that causes loss of life, that's when Congress will most likely act. And um, on to the next question. We have one more question from Nicole in Tampa. How seriously is the Trump administration taking the threat of cyber warfare?
0: I mean, let's just start where we we left off there. It seemed like, you know, let's talk about the president's cell phone, you know, and and tweeting and putting the the content of the tweets aside, but just the idea of having this leader of the free world, having this device in his hand, knowing that there are all sorts of adversaries out there that are targeting. It was just a few weeks ago that I think they found some uh, rogue, uh, we'll call them cell towers on K Street trying to intercept information of uh, you know people who work downtown and, and those kind of things so the threat's here it it's is. not just overseas it's here it's on the ground and, and it's, we in know our, that.
1: it's everywhere right and it's been here for a really long time
0: right but on the other side you could say funding has at least gone up for for cyber right I mean you think there were a lot of f- cyber funding and FYAT and it seems like they didn't there might not be anybody to manage the money but there's definitely more money <laughs> there's more money coming that direction which at least is, is probably a good thing in terms of investment or longer term things that Agreed. that need to happen.
1: Yeah, I think funding is obviously great, and where everyone's really happy to see it go up, especially in cybersecurity. But I think the the role of the Congress when it comes to funding is to oversee how that money is spent. Um, you know, all too often we see agencies buying what they think is the latest and greatest technology, and either you know doesn't deploy it properly, or um, it wasn't really what they needed because the people that were making those decisions didn't really understand the problem. Mm. We need to make sure that money is spent the correct way on the correct items and that we plug the, the, the technology in, for God's sake. I mean, you right. know. <laughs> it's no good if you, you don't use it, You right? actually have to yeah. plug it in. It's like yeah. buying an alarm system at your home and you leave all your windows open and your door unlocked. It's, right. you know, that doesn't work. So I think um, that is where Congress really needs to step in. And I think they have an opportunity to make sure that um, you're doing what you say you're doing otherwise there's, you're just spending money for nothing.
0: Well, there's definitely a lack of cyber professionals either in the government now or even being recruited to coming in but mm-hmm. you think it just seems like you know working for the federal government isn't cool. You know, it's cool to go work in Silicon Valley or work somewhere there. And frankly, the salaries are people better.
1: can't afford to work for the federal government. Yeah, anymore. they can't afford it, right? More <laughs> in a, Washington.
0: What is a GS five? It's like twenty five thousand dollars or something like that. Something just, ridiculous. Yeah, a low, you, low of my money. I stock. don't even yeah. know
1: where you could rent. Yeah, if yeah, you have yeah. to live at home with your parents. You'd
0: be living in the, yeah. yeah, yeah, Pennsylvania, commuting exactly. down, something like that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly, two hours from West Virginia. But
0: that's a problem, right? I mean, that it seems is. to be a, a leadership issue that needs to be addressed in terms of how are you going to recruit? How are you going to find the next? generation of uh, warriors that's going to fight, you know, to defend the country. As Mm -hmm. we said, the threat's here. Mm -hmm. It's not a what if or when. It's a now. Mm -hmm. And and we're kind of waiting for it uh, to to step up.
1: um, It is a problem. I do think that we've seen a lot of initiatives coming out of the Hill. Uh, The Cyber National Guard uh, governors are taking on the issue. I think Terry McAuliffe, you know, created this big uh, issue in uh, Virginia. Um, I think people are focused on it. But again, you're going to have to entice these young kids coming out of college that have, you know, $150,000 worth of loans to come work for the government and explain, yes, you're, you're doing this for the good, but, you know, you, you can't file for bankruptcy and your student loans aren't necessarily forgiven right away. So I think um, we do have to come up with a model that not only encourages the young people to come to the federal government and serve, um, but we have to pay them. Um, I look at when I was on the Hill, you know, people were called lifers. You know, they were there 20 years, you retired, you got a great retirement system. Now people go to government just as a stepping stone to the private sector, and that's because they can't afford it. Mm -hmm. So unless you have programs, which, you know, some have that will repay your student loans, it's not going to work.
0: You know, government being cool is important. You know, President Kennedy, you were a Kennedy staffer. You know, what can you do for your country, you know? Uh, it was the only thing I you. ever wanted to do when right. I... but it seems like in today's environment that government and the institutions are being raged against you know it doesn't seem like a, an attractive place to work you know any of the agencies and you could you could say that about both parties and I understand maybe one person in particular is saying it you know more than others but I, you know I wonder if that has a trickle down effect too in terms of finding people to be recruited to then want to join the government to kind of get in the fight and right so um,
1: but I think you know it's it's a place where we can grow
0: Next time on Homeland Homeroom, we'll be talking to Congressman Benny Thompson, who's the ranking member on the Homeland Security Committee and also a former chairman of the committee and potential a future chairman of the committee. <laughs> and we'll be talking about election security. You can email us at info at homelandhomeroom.com Dina, thanks as always for potting with
1: me. Oh, thank you, James. You can follow us on Twitter at Homeland Pod and please leave us a review on iTunes. Homeland Homeroom is produced by 90 West. Our producer is Emma Jean Weinstein, and we recorded this show at Monitor Studios in Washington, D.C.
0: Looking forward to next time.